invite you to take your Bibles, open it to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. For those of you who are visiting with us, um, we are going through this book, um, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We already looked at four sermons on this book, and today we're only going to look at Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessing the blessed God who has blessed us. Um, you're going to see that theme of blessing over and over and over again, and... This is really a poem of praise. You'll see from verse 3 to 14, it's actually just one long poem of praise to the triune God of how he has saved us and how he's blessed us from eternity past into eternity future. This is a grand vision of our blessings as Christians, if you are truly saved. So let's just read the text. So although we're only going to look at verse 3, I want us to read from verse 3 to 14 to feel the, the weight of this text. So let's read together Ephesians 1 from verse 3. Hear now the words of the living God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us, for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespass according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed of the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let's pray together. Father, I want to ask you for only one thing. I ask you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit. Please, Lord, please Grant us your spirit of wisdom and of revelation to understand the glories of what it means to be a Christian. Oh Lord, for those of us who are saved, that we would stand in awe, that we would stand back and praise your glorious grace. For those of us who are not Christians, that we would long to know this Christ, this Messiah, this one in whom is found every blessing. I pray that you will draw us to yourself, that you will glorify your name by the power of the Spirit. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Beloved, these couple of verses, verses 3 to 14, is a wonderful reminder of what God has done for us, what God has done for you if you are a Christian. These verses show you what blessings you have in Christ. It takes you... Imagine taking you on the top of an extremely high mountain peak, overlooking a beautiful range of mountains. And as you look back, you see that there's no beginning. And as you look forward, you see there is no end. And that is what this section is all about. It brings Christians to the top 
of the mountain of God's eternal plan to have and bless the church, to have us and to bless us. If we look back, we see our blessings began from eternity past. God chose us even before the foundation of the world. And when we look into the present, we see that we are redeemed, we are forgiven, we are adopted into the family. They are present blessings we enjoy. And then when you look forward, you see that there is an eternity future where God is going to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth, in a new heaven, a new earth, a resurrected body. Our inheritance is waiting for us. So you see, so eternity past, present and future, we're looking at that and we see the blessings that God has given us if we are in Christ. And verses 3 to 14 must be taken as one because you don't see it in the English, but in the Greek it is one sentence. It's as if Paul can't stop himself. He just has to go on and on and explain how amazing God's blessings are in one long poem of praise. And then verse 15 to 22, he prays that we might understand that. It's amazing. We're going to look at that. So he explains our blessings. And then verse 15, he prays that we might understand our blessings. And these verses celebrate and sing about what God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit has done to save us. The Father has blessed us, chose us, predestined us, adopts us. It's the Son that came to redeem us by His blood who forgives us. And it's the Spirit that seals us and is the guarantee of, our, of the day of redemption. The Father plans our salvation. The Son accomplishes our salvation. And the Spirit applies our salvation. And that is where we are heading. And we're going to take each of those blessings one sermon at a time to look at all of it and to stand in awe of our God. And I hope that you will also feel these verses, that you will start praising the glory of His grace and feel awestruck when you see it. So verse 3 is really like the banner that's over all the blessings. Um, verse 3 is like the flag that waves over every single blessing. In verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. One verse, three times the word blessed. The blessed God, bless him who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And so you could say the, the, the heart of the apostle is, in, is here, to bless God, to praise him. And here's the main point of this text. The main point is that the blessed God blesses his people so that they in turn can bless him. You see, it makes a full circle. God is a fountain. God is a blessed God. He delights in blessing us. And as we receive his grace and his mercy and his blessings, we cannot but return it. Return the blessing to him. God is like a fountain overflowing in his kindness, his goodness, his mercy to us. And then we are like a fountain that overflows back to him. And we cannot stop praising him. So, like I said, this afternoon we're only going to look at verse 3. So, we're only going to look at verse 3 and only study this verse, this title, this flag, this banner that is across every other blessing. And we're going to look at four aspects, four aspects of our blessings that we have in Christ. The source of our blessings, the nature of our blessings, the location of our blessings, and the response to our blessings. So let's look at the first aspect of our blessings. Let's first look at the source of our blessings. Where do our blessings come from? Well, it sounds like a Sunday school question, but it's not 
the text says, has an interesting answer. Look at verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. So our blessings didn't just fall out of the air. It comes from God himself, but not just any God, not just some random God. It comes from God the Father. And then, more specifically, God the Father of the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That God, it is Him who blesses us. Now that immediately points us back to the God of the Old Testament. It's the same God as the, old, the God of the Old Testament and the God of the Gospels and the God of after the Gospels and the God today, who, is, who was and is, who, who always will be the same. But what I found interesting when I studied this text is we don't normally talk of God the Father as the God of Jesus and the Father of Jesus, right? That's a strange way to talk about the Father. He is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. Now, someone might ask that might be confused with the Trinity, how can God, the Father, be the God of Jesus if Jesus himself is God? You see, like, how does that work? How can we say the Father is the God of, of Jesus when Jesus is God? And the answer is surprisingly straightforward. Surprisingly straightforward. When the, when the text says that he is the God of Jesus, he's referring to Jesus as a man. Jesus born of a virgin, born under the law, as a perfect man submitting himself to the Father as his God. Because he was the perfect man who ever lived. Now remember, the Son is the eternal Son. There was never a time when the Son was not. So the Son shares in the essence and the nature of God. The Son is fully and equally God. But then when he became a man, the Son took on a second nature, the human nature. And as man, he submitted to his Father as his God. Remember, the name Jesus was only given to him when? When he was born. He was always the Son, but he was only Jesus when he was born. And you shall call his name? Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So it's as a man that he can call God his God. And that's exactly what Jesus says after he rose from the dead. Listen to John 20, verse 16 to 17. After the resurrection, Jesus talks to Mary and says, Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabuni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father, and your father to my God and your God. So once Jesus completed salvation, God, the God and father of Jesus can now be our God and father. We can now share in that relationship that he has with his father. Now this is an amazing truth we need to understand and believe and accept. Sometimes there's this notion, there's this idea that the Father is the angry one of the Trinity. He's the one that is waiting for every small mistake and can't wait to punish us. And he's the wrathful one. He's the one that, where, where judgment comes from. But the Son, he's the gracious one. The Son is the, the gracious one, the patient one, the patient one who takes away the wrath of God. So the Father forgives us, but it's almost like a reluctant forgiveness. Like, okay, I'll forgive you because I know my Son died. But that is so wrong. That is not what this text and the rest of Scripture teaches us. It is specifically the Father who planned and blessed us, who planned our salvation. 
Listen to this beautiful verse, Luke 12, verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It is his good pleasure. God finds pleasure and joy and delight to save you. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. You see, it was God the Father who loved us so much that he gave up his son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It is the Father's love that has sent his son. Think about the, the parable of the prodigal son. Again, a picture of, of, of God the Father. How does he react when one sinner repents? Not reluctantly, like, you're going to have to work it off. You're going to have to work it off a few years. Listen to this, Luke 15, verse 20. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. That is God. That's God's reaction to you when you come to him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, which is, by the way, true. That's how humility looks like. That's how repentance looks like. But the father said to his servant, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So you can write this down as a rule. God is the kind of God that finds more pleasure in showing people mercy than he does in showing people judgment. Don't make the mistake to think that it's either or. Don't think it's either he is a gracious God or he is just. That, I think that's a very modern mistake we make. We think that these two attributes of God are, are enemies. No, God is both loving and just, holy and gracious. But the Bible is clear that he finds more pleasure in saving somebody than in sending somebody to hell. Or in the words of scripture in Ezekiel 18, he finds no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He finds no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God is not reluctant to forgive us. He's not reluctant to save you or to bless you if you would come to him. Beloved, praise, praise God your Father. He is your Father in Christ, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the source of our blessings. But now let's secondly consider the nature, the nature of our blessings. What precisely are these blessings that we're talking about? Now, verse 3 gives us a lot of clues. Notice two things. First, notice that these blessings are spiritual. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. This is in contrast to earthly or physical blessings. Because earthly blessings and physical blessings, God gives to everyone, whether you are a Christian or not. Because you know what is one of those earthly blessings? To be alive. That is a blessing that God gives to everybody, those who hate him and those who love him. Matthew 5 reminds us that even the sunshine is a grace from God. When the sun came up, God showed he loves us. When it rains, God shows he loves us. When you eat tonight, when you eat, that's a sign that God loves you. You see, God gives that to everyone, whether you're a Christian or not. But that's not what verse 3 is talking about. 
When it talks about every blessing, it doesn't speak of earthly blessings, it speaks of spiritual blessings. And these spiritual blessings are expanded from verse 4 to verse 14. So what are these blessings? They are election, adoption, holiness, redemption, forgiveness of our sins, knowledge of the will of God, our inheritance, being sealed with the, with the Holy Spirit. But you cannot see or touch your forgiveness, right? If you are forgiven by Christ, it's not like, you, it's not like a physical thing you can see, but does that make it any less physical or real just because you can't see your forgiveness? No, it's a real reality. It's a real spiritual blessing, even though you can't see it or touch it. Now, why that's important is because of the obvious reason and the obvious observation that even God's children, whom he loves, will sometimes go through incredible sufferings on earth, incredible pain on earth. Just one observation. Where was Paul when he wrote this? <laughs> right? Chapter 3, verse 1 tells us where he was. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner. A prisoner. Paul is in prison and he's praising God for his blessings. What, Paul? You see, he's in prison, but his heart is in eternity. But he can do that because his blessings are not physical primarily. But he's praising God for his spiritual blessings, which is always his, whether he's in prison or not. Whether it's always true for the Christian because they are spiritual in nature. And that's exactly what makes it so beautiful and so amazing. Because it is spiritual, it doesn't matter in what circumstance you are in. It doesn't matter. You can always bless God. You can always praise Him for your election, for your adoption, for your inheritance, for your forgiveness, for your etc., etc. And because they are spiritual, nothing can take it away from you. Nothing can rip you away from His love. Nothing. Whether prison or lockdown, whether fill in the blank. Because also, as if you're a Christian, if you live long on the earth, it almost feels like you're almost losing your earthly blessings on a daily basis. You get older, you get uglier, you get slower and weaker, and, and one day you will die. But your spiritual blessings remains the same. And therefore, you can grow stronger in your faith, even though you're growing weaker physically. Praising God, blessing your God, because your blessings are spiritual. That's the first observation. But notice, another observation, it's not just that it's spiritual, but secondly, we also have every spiritual blessing. Look at verse 3. It says, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing? Nothing left out for the Christian. It's amazing to think there's not one single Christian who doesn't, who doesn't have all of the spiritual blessings that God has given to his children. doesn't mean we will all have the spiritual gifts, but in the sense that he gives us all the fullness of all of his spiritual blessing. So all of his blessings are for all the saints. It communicates the idea that God spared nothing when he gave us these blessings. Do you need something spiritually? Do you need forgiveness for your sins? Do you need peace? Do you need a clean conscience? Do you need the Holy Spirit to guide you and strengthen you and help you? It's yours. It's already yours. God has given you everything. He's given you every spiritual blessing. When did you get these blessings? Did you earn them after years of hard work and the more you work, the more you're increasing your blessings? No. 
Every Christian has all the blessings by grace through faith in Christ. Where the day you believed in Jesus was the day you received all your blessings, all of them. Therefore, you should always reject any notion, any teaching, any pastor, any apostle, any prophet, any whatever title put in there that says to you, it's great that you were saved, now you just need this. Now you just need to receive this spiritual blessing as if you don't have it. It will sound something like that. It's great that Jesus saved you. It's amazing. But you're still lacking this. If you do step one, two, and three, then you will receive the real Christian blessing, the real experience of what it means to be a Christian. Now you just need fill in the blank. Whatever it is, whether it's a second work of grace, but the Christian should always respond based on this verse. It's great that I have received Christ and now I just need nothing. Now I just need nothing. For I have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. After you, listen to this, this is so good. <laughs> After you have received Christ, there's nothing left to receive. Do you hear? After you've received him, there's nothing left for you to receive. Nothing. It's that truth that will give you contentment, even in your spiritual journey that's in a lot of up and downs and a lot of doubting and fears and struggling with your sin. Because God is yours, the Son is yours, the Spirit is yours, forgiveness is yours, a new heaven and new earth is yours. Everything is yours by grace. I love this um, illustration, and that, this should also give you strength in your physical sufferings, knowing this, because... Listen to this great quote from one commentator. He says, Think, for instance, of a young man who has to work hard for very little pay. But he knows that soon he will come into an, an inherited trust fund that will provide him with millions. Think of the peace and the comfort this knowledge gives him in the midst of present struggles. We, as Christians, have this knowledge on the grandest scale. So in this life, we might feel poor, we might feel like we're not getting ahead, we might feel all these things, we feel like we're working very hard for very little, but our inheritance is coming when we will possess everything. <laughs> so that will give you strength, patience, endurance to go through your earthly sufferings because you have every spiritual blessing. So that is the nature of our blessings. It's spiritual in nature and we have all of it. There's nothing left out. Number three, now let's consider as well the location of our blessings. Where should we go? Where do we find these blessings? Now, the text says there are two places in which we find these blessings. In the heavenly places and in Christ. Notice in verse three, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, if you know Ephesians, that's a key phrase. It comes up over and over again in the book of Ephesians. Heavenly places, heavenly places, heavenly places. In the Greek, it just says heavenlies, in the heavenlies. Now, here's the, the simplest definition of what this means when it says the heavenly places. Um, Sinclair Ferguson gives a very simple definition. He says, the heavenly places refers to the new realm or spiritual realities in which believers have been brought in Christ. Heavenly places refers to the new realm or spiritual realities which believers have been brought. So it's the spiritual realities in which Christians are now sharing in. 
And that phrase comes up a few times. And just notice in chapter 1, verse 20, it might be helpful to look at this, how it's used here as well. Look at chapter 1, verse 20 to 21. It says, That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion above every name that is named. So Christ was raised and he was seated at the right hand of, the, of God in the heavenly places, above all authority, all power, all spiritual realities. He is above that in the heavenly places. So this is what Christ is in that heavenly reality, although he has a physical body. And so our blessings are in a, in a spiritual reality. And where Christ is, then nothing can take it away from us because he's above all of it. Again, you can't see Jesus ruling over every authority, every power, every dominion, but it's still real. And so these blessings, they are in the spiritual re reality, they, but they are still real. It's so important. We shouldn't lose this aspect of our faith because we're living in a scientific age or in a just show me. If I can't see it, I don't believe it. We should resist that because God is God. God has created everything. There are spiritual realities. And that is where our blessings are. They are in the spiritual realms, in the heavenly places where Christ is, where he is ruling and where he is reigning. But secondly, this is probably the most important. Where's the location? Specifically in Christ. Look at verse 3 again. Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That is the key of, I could almost say the entire book. In him, in him, in him, in Christ. And when you read that word in him or in Christ, you must always think of your union with Christ, your, that you are united to him. That means that when we are saved, we don't just get a lot of good stuff from Jesus, but that we get Jesus himself. It's like marriage. Marriage, you get a lot of cool stuff, right? You get a lot of cool perks and privileges and things like that. But you get much, much more. You get a wife, okay? You get a husband. Like that is far more important and far more amazing. It's like, it's like, Someone who only loves God for his gifts is like the person going on honeymoon with only a photo of their spouse. No, like what makes the beach beautiful at honeymoon is your wife, is your husband, right? It's not, yeah, the beach is beautiful, but it's the moment with your husband or your wife. The same way we are in Christ. We don't just receive things from him. We receive him, him himself. And so the opposite is true as well. If only all the spiritual blessings are found in Christ, then there are no spiritual blessings outside of Christ. If you are not united to him, if you do not believe and trust in him, you have nothing. You are naked. You are wretched. You are blind. Without Christ, your life is meaningless. It is. Only he is the one that we can find meaning and life. He is the bread of life. He is the fountain of living water. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Without Jesus, you are lost. But if you have him, you have everything. You have everything. You don't need anything else outside of Christ, our joy, our hope, our comfort, our all in all. That's why only in Christ can you be saved. Acts 4 verse 12 says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Only Christ, not religion, not Muhammad, not any other spiritual leader, not any other 
disciplines or meditations or whatever you do will mean nothing. Only Christ, only Christ is sufficient to save you. Only he is the place, the location where you receive all the spiritual blessings. So what a reason for you to give thanks to God if you have and if you know Christ, if he is your Savior, if he is your Lord. And what a reason to be urgent to tell others because without Christ, people have nothing. But let's lastly now consider our response. What should be our response to this text? Well, firstly, we should praise him. We should praise him. You've noticed this in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father. Look at verse 6. To the praise of his glorious grace. Look at verse 12. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Look at verse 14. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Do you get the picture? So what is this poem of praise meant to do for you? To cause you to bless God, to praise him, thank him, bless him for who he is and what he has done for you. You as a Christian have a wonderful future, always. You know, I as a father... I have two boys, and I want with all my heart the most amazing future for them. And I will do all I can with all my power so that they might reach that wonderful future that I would love them to have. But the problem is I'm a sinful man, I'm a selfish man, I'm a proud man, so often my plans are not always good and not always right, but still my desire for my children are so strong now imagine if that's true of me as a sinful father to my children, how much more is it true of God your father who loves you infinitely more than your parents could ever love you to have give you the most amazing future. And I'm not thinking of an earthly future, I'm thinking of an eternal future. And again, the difference between me and, and God is that I have no power to secure that future for my children. I can only pray, hope, discipline, teach, train, this, whatever, pay, help, whatever. Change diapers, you know. But God is almighty. When God has a plan, he will fulfill it. Nothing can thwart his purposes. God is never frustrated. He is almighty. And so he will secure your blessings in Christ. He will make sure you reach your heavenly home. But why? Why would he do that? Again, to the praise of his name, to glorify himself. He does all of it to make himself look good. And that's good because he is good. <laughs> what an amazing... I want you to think about this. Have you ever thought of this? Your forgiveness glorifies God. Your adoption glorifies God. The fact that God gives you his grace in Christ, lavishes you with these spiritual blessings, makes him look good. So fully embrace these blessings so that God might look good. Embrace your adoption. Embrace your forgiveness. Embrace your inheritance. And then simply praise Him. That's the first response. We should praise Him. Secondly, just to getting a bit more practical, you might ask, but how can I praise God when I don't feel like praising God? I often, I, I, I sometimes see these things, I hear these things, and my heart is just, there's just nothing that, that wells up in me to praise him. Well, me too. Often, 
I wake up and I don't feel. Like John Piper says, every morning it feels like Satan is sitting on his face. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's a battle, it's a struggle for our hearts and our minds to praise God like this. Because we're so easily distracted, we, we so easily sin. And I believe the key answer to how we can reclaim or regain the ability to praise God is to do the simple discipline of meditating. Meditating on the scriptures, on these blessings. And in fact, Colossians 3 verse 1 commands us to do that. It says, if you have then been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Set your minds. Don't set your minds on things of earth, on your sin, on the chaos around you. Set your minds on heavenly realities. Remember, what you think about is what you are going to talk about. What is in your heart is going to bubble up out of your mouth. Jesus says, out of, the, out, of, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you want your mouth to be full of praise, what must your heart be full of? What must your mind be full of? Meditating on these things, on the blessings that God has given you. But we are, we're too busy meditating on our anxieties, to meditating on our problems and our, our, our issues. And we, that's what we are thinking about. But we have little time to meditate on the precious blessings of God. And so we feel nothing. We hear this and it's like just bouncing off of our hearts. Joshua in the Old Testament showed the connection between praise or talking and meditating. In Joshua 1 verse 8, notice this verse. Joshua 1 verse 8, God says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. It says, It shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it. You see the connection? Once you meditate on the law, Joshua, you will talk about it all the time. Robert, I believe this is the missing link, the missing link between knowing the, the, the Bible, reading the Bible, and praising God is we just don't meditate on it. We don't have time to meditate. We're too hasty. We, we read our Bibles and we rush forward into our busy schedules, our busy lives. Or we just simply make these type of excuses that we just don't have time. But that's a lie. Have you noticed that you always have time for the things you love? Always. It's like you make time. It's like... I'm even going to skip my lunch. I need to do this, right? We, we do that for other things. But when it comes to these eternal realities, it's as if that can always take a break. That can always take a backseat to the more important things. But how do we meditate? You might wonder, how do we do this? I just want to read a good quote here from J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God. He says, meditation is the activity of calling to mind, thinking over, and dwelling on. You see, so it's not just reading and running, it's slowing down, calling to mind, thinking over, dwelling on, and applying to oneself the various things that one knows about the works and ways and purposes and promises of God. It is an activity of holy thought, consciously performed in the presence of God, under the eye of God, by the help of God, as a means of communion with God. I love that, by the help of God. We even need God's help to do this. We can't meditate by our own strength. We say, God, please help me, my mind. I love the Psalm 119 says, incline my heart to your word and not to selfish gain. 
So it's thinking over, talking to yourself, talking back to yourself the, the truths of the Bible. And here, let me give one practical suggestion to help you with this. I think what I found personally was very helpful to me is to minimize and cut off distractions. We live in a technological age. We live in a, a, a phones that have endless um, opportunities to be entertained. And I've noticed there was a trend in my life that I, I had notifications put on for YouTube and for Facebook and things like that. And sometimes I don't even want to watch YouTube. But then a notification comes up in the middle of my prayer or my Bible reading or my... And, I, and suddenly I want to watch because I wonder what that video is about. I had no desire to watch before that, but now that, that notification is in my mind, I'm like, okay, now I need to watch this first. So what, what starts to happen is that our minds are so cluttered. Our minds are so easily distracted. We, we don't find time because we have too many things that we bring into our quiet times, our times with God. So for me, simple solution, I switched off my notifications on YouTube. So that if I want to watch YouTube, I actually want to watch it. Right? It's not like I'm watching it because I have to, because this notification just, you know, lured me in, clickbait. <laughs> so maybe for you it's something else. But what I'm trying to say is you, you and I need to fight for space in our minds. In the mornings, push back the distractions. Switch your phone off. Put it on silent. Put it next to you. Don't look at your phone. Just take time to meditate. You have to unclutter your mind. Give space and room for yourself to meditate on these things. And then when you meditate on these truths by the help of God, as you really think about them, really think about Jesus coming back, really think about Him wiping away every tear from your eye, really think about you being free from your sin, from your sorrows, your disappointment. What can you do but crazy and that's what you can do so meditate meditate and here's the last thing the last response and i close with this last way we should respond to this great text is there might be another reason why you are struggling to praise god that is because you just don't know him you have never tasted his grace you've never experienced his forgiveness you've never Repented of your sins and put your trust in Christ. And because then it's impossible to praise Him. You cannot praise God who has not saved you. You cannot praise a God who is still your enemy, under whose wrath and anger you are still under. You cannot praise God if you have no peace with God. You cannot praise God if you don't have a clean conscience before God because of your sins. You cannot praise God if you are still far away from God. So what must you do? Well, come to His Son. Come to Christ. Come to Jesus. He alone can forgive you of all your sins. He can save you. He can take your filthy conscience and make it clean by His blood, no matter what you've done, and make you whiter than snow. And since only He can deal with your sins... Come to Him alone. Don't come to your works. Don't come to your attempts. Don't come to a religious system. Come to the living Christ. Come to the resurrected Christ. Come to Him and roll your soul upon His loving arms. 
that he might be your savior, he might be your righteousness, that he might save you and that you might be united to him. Have you done that? Have you truly turned away from your sins, turned to Christ, put your trust and your hope and your faith in him? If not, now is the time to do it. Now is the time to come to Christ. And then, and only then, will you be able to bless the blessed God. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we confess that many of these blessings are so great and so amazing that it's almost too hard to believe. It's almost too great to believe. It's almost too wonderful to accept. Lord, our imaginations are so small that we have no capacity to meditate on eternity. We have no capacity. There's no room in our hearts, in our minds to think deeply about ever the blessings that you've poured richly upon us. So Father, I pray that you will help us, Lord. We are dust. We are frail. We are weak. We are limited in our minds, in our understanding. Father, I pray that you will help us to re truly repent, truly cut off the things that are taking our eyes off of Christ, off of heaven, off of the things above, so that we might live a worthy life on earth for you and your glory. Oh Lord, but we bless you. We do bless you. You are the blessed God who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, in Christ. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. I pray that we might become a people like Paul, that even though he was in prison, that he could say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that we might be like him. When it's going well, that we would say, praise him. When it's going bad, that we would say, praise him. Father, may our hearts be full of thankfulness for what you have done. May you receive all the glory and all the honor. We pray this in Jesus' name.